and welcome to the Worldwide Golf Shops Insider Podcast, episode 322. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Brassell. Thanks so much for joining us. This is our special year in review of the Insider Podcast, and boy, what a year it was. It's in some ways certainly a year we'd like to forget as far as health reasons and all the things that have been put on us as a society, but uh, it's been another great golf year, and we've had some absolutely fantastic, great guests on the show a few of which we will share with you today. We'll start it off with our CEOs. We normally catch up with these guys at the PGA Merchandise Show, but uh, 2020 was a little through a curveball to us. Let's just put it that way. So we took it to the phones and caught up with TaylorMade's David Abeles, who shares with us a little bit about what goes in when they improve technology on golf clubs and the type of input they get. And then we take it to Callaway's Chip Brewer, And he'll share with us a little bit about the second generation of artificial intelligence built in to the Callaway line of Maverick clubs. Let's listen to David Abeles and Chip Brewer. And Tiger actually said this, as did Dustin. I am completely blown away by the fact that you guys, that TaylorMade, are working three, four, and five years out trying to figure out how you can help me play the game better, bring me better products and ultimately do that with new designs and new technologies that haven't even been thought of yet, much less, you know, your ability to actually manufacture those ideas. So, yeah, we've been working on this for quite some time, and this is an arresting product. When you see it, you have to stop and look at it. And all I would suggest to every one of your listeners is to go into worldwide golf shops um, around the country and just try it. That's all I would ask is just try it. Put it on the launch monitor and let the product prove itself to you because it's amazing. And as I said, it's the most complete driver we've ever made. It isn't just that your launch data will be better. You will launch it better. You'll see better speed. You'll optimize spin. It'll be more forgiving. It'll go straighter. But when you hear it, what it sounds like and how it feels, that's complete for TaylorMade. And we don't really ever come to market unless we believe we have a product that is better in terms of both function, how it works, and form, how it looks. And so we're very, very uh, committed to ensuring that we bring products to market that excite golfers and help them play better. Well, you know, since the first AI, we were just, you know, learning how to utilize it and put it into the face. So there's a whole next generation of optimization. We've... uh, We've doubled the size of the supercomputer. We've hired a lot more analytical talent and uh, engineering staff. We've put in more uh, uh, research uh, uh, capabilities in terms, for instance, as you get into the AI uh, use on the face, uh, you're putting different strains and stresses on the metal. So we had to design a different... uh, face material on this uh, driver than we used on previous. It's a high-strength, super premium uh, type of titanium on the driver and on the ferry wood, a a uh, high-strength version of a steel that's not been utilized previously. Uh, The heat treatment process that we use in that, it gets really technical and into the weeds. uh, where you're getting uh, the next generations and the next mile an hour or two of ball speed uh, that we're able to uh, deliver. You know, and then we talk a little bit about this spin robustness, which has uh, 
when you miss a, a shot around the face, and everybody does that, um, some of us, Tom, like myself, more than others, but uh, it, uh, you know, the the speed can drop off when you miss the the sweet spot, uh, but also the spin changes. You know, if you hit it high on the face, often the spin will drop. If you hit it low on the face, the spin will go up, etc. And we found a way through the design of the face to uh, to minimize that change as well, uh, which of course uh, gives you a higher performing product. Uh, and then the aerodynamic shaping with the uh, cyclone shaping, which uh, uh, really delivers a unique overall performance package. So it's, it, it's quite exciting here at Callaway. We're really innovating and setting a new frontier on the uh, design side of golf equipment. You know, AI is going to be revolutionary, not just in golf, in, in, in the world. Uh, it's what brings us self-driving cars and automation. And it's not just golf equipment that's going to uh, need to be designed by AI going forward. It's almost every uh, product you can think of. It just takes us to a new level of uh, not. It's not even intuitive. It's a new level of optimization and understanding using the knowledge that we had in the past, but uh, software and supercomputers to take it to different levels. You and I are old enough to remember the cartoon show, The Jetsons. I think we're living in The Jetsons right now, except for the flying cars, you know. We've got everything else. But, you know, as silly as it sounds, all of that Jetson stuff, you know, from, you know, self-driving cars to flying cars to, you know, uh, AI-designed drivers is all in the, you know, you're seeing it out there now. Uh, And, uh, you know, it is really fun to be, at the forefront of that. I'm very proud of the team. Keeping it with the club makers and certainly one of the most enthusiastic club makers in the game is Bob Vokey, the Vokey wedge man himself. He says he loves to spread the wedge gospel. And uh, he talks to us about the importance of fitting, of being fit for your wedges. We preach it all the time, but here it is from the man himself, Bob Vokey. Yeah, I like. I, I always say you got to avoid somebody walking into the pro shop or into the the, the uh, discount stores and just looking at a in a plane, just grabbing a wedge as I want that. No, that's not it. I think, you know, I'll say one time we have been fitting a bad fit <laughs> with a wedge is will hurt, will harm a player just as much as a good wedge can improve that player. You know, so I always try to say what I. Go and see your fitter. I always like to say, go see your title. Go go to Titleist Fitting Days. It's so important to be fit because you know. And I think every, every guys get fit for drivers, irons, fairways, but you know, there's only a small percentage. So maybe seventeen, eighteen percent of the players we go by all the surveys that were taken who get fit for wedges. I said, John, and that's your score and club. The players we work we're, we're talking about. I call it the avid golfer, you know, he hits maybe you know, five greens around, six greens around, around. How much time does he, do he have opportunity to get up, up up and down if he's fit for the right loft, grind, bounce? All those different things. So important for the different types of shot conditions that he may have. He encounters at his course. He may have firm sand, firm fairways, you know, he may get away with a little, a little less bounce. 
But right. you know, and then sometimes you got the pot bunkers, you got greens that are narrow greens, big greens, all these different things that a player takes. He's got to take that into consideration when he's being fit with a wedge. And I think a lot of players, you know, they I'm a firm believer in and anywhere between four to six degrees. I think four to six degrees is a good number. And you know, that equates to probably ten to fifteen yards. If you can keep it in there in there you're doing well. So I think a lot of people don't really know how far they hit their wedges. And they have may have big gaps. They have twenty, thirty yard gaps. And they say, Oh, I can cover that. I can I can jump on this or I can back off on this. Boy, those are tough shots to hit. And once you can fill that gap with another wedge, I'm, and I'm not trying to sell wedges. I'm trying to help the player improve the score because that's that's what we play for. You know, that's what that's what we do. And I think that's and they, and and you want to do it with with fun. You know, this game is supposed to be fun. It's a frustrating game, but boy, it's supposed to be fun. And this is what we try to instill by using the proper wedges. You know, and you get players out there trying to hit that guy. He's trying to hit that. 300-yard drive, and he doesn't have the physical ability to do that. But you know what he does have? He does have the physicality to inside 100 yards to save some shots, get up and down. And funny thing what's going to happen, this buddy is going to improve also. So it's – and then he'll enjoy the game. Talking about improving your game, certainly uh, there's been very few who have helped improve people's games more than this man. And it's Martin Hall who joins us. The legendary instructor talks about swing thoughts and uh, what some of the best players have told him about their swing thoughts. I'll tell you what's interesting, Tom. I'll tell you what is interesting. So I've had the chance to be around Tiger Woods a good number of times. I've had the chance to be around Rory McIlroy a good number of times. I mean, I've been around the greats of the game of the past, and now I've been around the greats of the game of modern time. Both of them said to me they never hit the ball without a swing thought. So I wouldn't want uh, any of the listeners thinking, oh, Martin's saying you shouldn't think of anything when you sing. That's not at all what I would suggest. I would suggest the maximum thought you can have is two, one backswing, one for the downswing, and it's best if you just have one. So I think what, what typically I see on my lesson to you at is people are actually, they're really trying to think of four things while they're swinging a golf club. That's not possible. But you can have a swing thought going back, or you can have a, an intent and a swing thought and an image for the downswing. You can think, I'm going, to, I'm going to move my club as if I was skipping a rock across a lake, just throwing it half side arm, half underarm. I think images are very good. Uh, one thought going back, one thought going through is very good. Thoughts of keeping grip pressure constant or keeping arms relaxed, which I learned from Sam Sneed, those are very good. So I like swing thoughts. I just don't like too many swing thoughts. Greats of the game. Yeah, we got to speak to several greats of this year's game. And uh, we'll start it off with Colin Morikawa. We talked to him right after his win at Workday and the mindset to win and where that comes from. Let's listen to Colin Morikawa. The mindset you had, like you said, never get, is that something that you had during that week or is that something that's been with you a while? You know, it's, it's been with me for a while. And obviously I, I think it's something that you can kind of teach yourself and train to, to get better at. Um, but, you know, when you believe that, that you're good enough and, and you can play against these guys, um, no matter who it is, I think you always want to just give yourself a chance. You know, if you're coming down that last nine holes, 
and you have a chance to close it out or to win or to get into a playoff or whatever it is, um, you know, you've put everything out there, and then that's when all the practice, all the training uh, comes into place because at that point you're just dialed in to win. You're dialed in to make birdies, um, getting ready to close out the tournament. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's something that I, I think it's just you, you kind of build on off experience. I, I learned a lot from – Losing in that playoff to Daniel Berger, um, you know, the first tournament back from all the quarantine, and I was kind of able to take that into this playoff and, and learn from it and get more comfortable as the playoff kept going. So hopefully the next time I'm in that situation, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable. Um, you know, I'm still going to be nervous, but I'm, I'm a little more comfortable in that position from the start of the playoff instead of working my way into, um, you know, through the first playoff hole because sometimes – you really might not get a shot at, a, at another playoff hole. Another young, great player we spoke with this year, Xander Shoffley, and the unique way in which he learned the game and some of the rules his dad gave him when he was just starting. Yeah, I would watch my dad uh, every Saturday kind of wake up and uh, go out and grab his clubs and go out golf, and I always asked him sort of what he was doing and, um, he said, I'm going golfing, and I asked if I could come with him. And he goes, you not, I think I was maybe eight, eight years old, maybe. He says, not until you carry, you carry your own bag for 18 holes. He goes, I don't want to babysit you while I'm out there playing my own game. And, you know, some would think that's harsh, but I figured that kind of makes sense now that, now that I play golf. But I played soccer and golf growing up uh, side by side and kind of didn't really fall in love with the team, in all honesty, just – wasn't really for me, and um, I just loved hitting balls and, and practicing and golfing and hanging out with my dad. So I ended up playing. I could carry my bag for 18 holes since I was about nine, nine-ish, ten maybe. And so he started taking me out more. And um, you know, he's been my only swing coach ever since. So it's been uh, been a pretty crazy ride. Is it true you never saw your swing on video until later later on in your teens? Yeah, I was about. 16 or 17 probably um, I would always try and try and sneak a video uh, from one of my friends you know if, if they had a phone at the time um, but they were they were all too scared to face my dad if uh, if, if, if anyone found out um, so I guess he made himself scary enough to my friends that they didn't really want to take a video of my swing because they, they figured they'd get in trouble and I'd get in trouble and, uh, my dad just he just felt it wasn't you know in a a growing age and a time where it wasn't important for me to see my swing. He wanted me just to work on what he told me to do. And, um, I, I mean, I guess it worked out. Can't imagine being a young kid with all the technology available and not being able to see your swing. We also spoke with uh, Webb Simpson, and we're talking about technology, and he goes with some old faithful wedges, and we asked him a little bit about why uh, why he's not with the uh, the newest SM8 wedges, but he has the SM5s in his bag. Let's hear what he had to say. On the Vokey wedges, are you playing the SM5s from a few years back? I am playing the SM5s, yes. Correct. Yeah, I guess that's the question of the moment because I play the sevens and everybody asks me why I'm not playing the eights. And I'm like, well, I just don't have the eights. Right. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I guess back right. to the fives, is that <laughs> kind of like the old Gary player and his putter when he used to say, if it's between my wife and my putter, I told my wife I'd miss her. You just love those so much. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm like I said with the golf ball, you get so used to a piece of equipment um, that, I mean, I. It goes through the ground. It goes through the sand. 
you know, through the turf on wet shots so well that it's hard for me to try to get used to something new. And, you know, the hard thing is they're coming out with stuff that is better. You know, their, their new stuff gets better every time. But, you know, it does take time and finesse for, you know, for us pros to really feel comfortable with it, you know, when it comes to competition. Certainly one of the strangest things out on tour this year is the guys playing without fans. And we got to ask each of them uh, what it felt like without fans out there and how much the fans meant to them. So uh, first, uh, here's Xander Shoffley with his thoughts. What's it like for you without fans out there? It's quiet. You know, it's uh, um, it's kind of interesting. I, I'm not really, you know, one to really feed off the crowd. I kind of keep to myself when I play. I don't get too high or too low. Um, so, but but it, it is nice, you know, when you, when you do something nice and you kind of get the recognition of the crowd or, you know, if you're hitting up a hill and sort of feels like you're at home playing with your buddies, you know what I mean? No one wants to tell you a good shot <laughs> if you hit it close. Um, so, you know, I think we all miss them. Um, pra- like practice has been more efficient just getting around the property. Um, but, you know, it's, it's always cool to see the kids and to have fans and just, people support you just for, you know, whatever reason they want to support you. And um, that is always a, a nice part of the sport. And to, to be missing is, is kind of a – at first it was kind of like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool, it's quiet. But then afterwards you're like, all right, this is kind of too quiet. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned something there that I was just thinking of, the kids. Man, the next generation, you miss seeing those kids out there. Yeah, you know, it, it's always – you know, someone always told me, just always, my, my dad always makes sure, like, if, if I'm tired or don't want to sign autographs, I mean, I always try to do my best uh, um, just to do that. But, you know, I'll always, I try to always stop for a kid. Just because, you never know. I mean, I remember I would, I got Brett Wetterick's glove at Torrey Pines. It was like this old, sweaty, crusty glove from Brett Wetterick coming in like 2005, I think, or something like that, or 06. And, you know, at, at the time, I didn't, I didn't even know who he was, but I was so excited and when I was young and I first got on tour, I was kind of embarrassed. I didn't. I was like, why do these people want my autograph? It's kind of weird, you know what I mean? That's kind of how I think about stuff. So I was kind of embarrassed, and, but my dad always would push me out to the crowd and make sure I just signed, even if they didn't know who I was, just go sign the autographs. And so I just I always think back to that moment when, you know, Wetterick gave me that sweaty, crusty glove on the 18th hole and how excited I was. And I think my mom still has it somewhere in the house, but it kind of made my day. You know, I figured if I can make a kid's day, that, that's kind of that'd make me really happy. And now the same with Webb Simpson. How is it without fans out there right now? It's very different. You know, it's probably easier for us in practice rounds. You know, less, you know, autographs and fan interaction. We get our work done quicker. But we do miss the fans. We miss, you know, making a 30-footer and hearing the roar or chip in or whatever it might be. So we do miss the fans, but it is way quieter. (laughs) And one of the aha moments was – you get to ask that question that really gets them thinking. And here is Webb Simpson early this year, probably the hottest player on tour at the time, with uh, with that deep thought. Deep question here. You know, when you hang them up someday, and it's going to be a long way from now, but when it's all said and done, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, that's a great question. You know, when I made my first team event uh, in Australia, 2011 President's Cup, Jim Furyk said to me, he says, you know, at the end of your career, you're going to be remembered golf-wise by your majors, your PGA Tour wins, and your team events. And so that hit home to me. And so my goal, you know, when I hang up the clubs has always been I want to be the best that I could be 
you know, and look back and think, I did everything I could do in my power, my ability, and my effort to get the most out of my game. So I don't have any specific goals like I want to get to number one in the world or I want to win 10 majors. I just really want to look back and think I did as well as I could have done, you know, with the talent that God gave me. And that'll make me feel, you know, really good about kind of my career, I believe. And we'll close this episode out with Colin Morikawa with a little bit of advice on playing through the pandemic and what we can do to kind of enjoy life throughout this this whole uh, situation that we're in. Colin Morikawa. I think just have fun. Um, I've enjoyed every part of it. I, I know, you know, we all go through tough times, you know, whether it's on the course or off the course, whatever it is. But, you know, having the opportunity, especially now, to be able to go and play and just <clears throat> have fun out there with some friends or family, um, you know, that, I think that's what makes us enjoy the game as much. And we obviously miss everyone out there um, on the PGA Tour, but, you know, hopefully this, this will all be over at some point and we'll be able to see you back out there because we love playing for you guys, um, seeing you guys cheer, have fun, smile. So, you know, all the juniors, I think, just go out there, have fun. Um, because I, I'm, I'm having as much fun as anyone else out there. So uh, I, I think that's what you know keeps us going, is just putting a smile on our face. Get out there and play. Hit some balls, but more than anything, just go out and have fun. Well, special thanks for joining us again, and we'll do it again next time in the year 2021 when we'll still be having some fun here at the Worldwide Golf Shop's Insider Podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs>